Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you again for your warm welcome. Margaret and I are very much enjoying uh, the program here at Worldwide. It's fantastic to see all that's happening, all of the good events, and uh, we're so privileged to be part of the program. Um, Thank you, Jason, for your welcome, and also for those lovely songs, which fit perfectly with the passage which we're going to turn to. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you'd open it again uh, to the passage which uh, Jason read to us, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And uh, you'll see on the screen uh, our title for the whole series of five sessions is Trusting God in Turbulent Times. Uh, Yesterday we began in chapter one with all of the uh, questions which Habakkuk had, and we called it why. And uh, in this session, the mood changes completely, as you probably detected as we looked at these opening words of chapter two. We're looking at the theme of wait. Uh, some while ago, uh, when I was uh, working with UCCF, a colleague of mine uh, came into the office. She'd been working nonstop, probably for a couple of weeks, uh, very, very busy. And she said to me as she came into the office, the only thing holding me together is perpetual motion. I don't know if you have that, that feeling, you know, you're so busy, you're moving all the time. If you stop, you're going to collapse. And of course, these days, many people live under that kind of pressure. It's called modernity stress. We've got so much to do. And social commentators tell us that now, in our culture, there are so many distractions, so many things which we have to give our attention to, that we do find it difficult to quietly rest, to wait, to listen. In fact, uh, one of the uh, Microsoft researchers recently used an interesting phrase and says that we these days suffer this particular danger, you'll see on the screen, continuous partial attention. Uh, What this researcher meant by that phrase was that you're uh, sitting working on your laptop doing your email, uh, your daughter comes into the room, you have a conversation with her, and then your mobile rings, and you have another conversation. So you've got all these conversations going on at the same time, and you're not really concentrating on any of them. Continuous, partial attention. In fact, uh, as is now uh, said, we are all Darwinians now. It's all to do with the survival of the fastest. So the idea of waiting in our culture is very countercultural. Uh, the idea of, of pausing, of finding the opportunity to step aside from all of this distracted restlessness is not easy. And yet we're going to see from Habakkuk's example here, it is essential, very important for us in our own lives. Um, I remember uh, working with IFES, I made regular trips into Central Europe and on one occasion Uh, visited a colleague working in the beautiful city of Budapest. And uh, she took me up in the evening to the old city. If you know it, it's high above the Danube. And it was a lovely summer's evening. The air was fresh and clean. Uh, The lights of the city spread out in front of us. And she said to me, Jonathan, I come up here almost every week because it restores your sense of perspective. 
And I guess it's true for all of us. You can get very consumed by your day-to-day -day activity or your struggles at work, whatever your life may involve, and somehow you lose sight of the bigger picture of God's good purposes. But we do need moments when we can refresh our vision, when we can gain this wider perspective. It's important in our Christian lives, but especially if we're in a turbulent world, and just as we saw yesterday in Habakkuk's world, um, when you're facing so many challenges, it's very important you also draw aside for this time of reflection. Uh, we saw yesterday Habakkuk's complaints to God in chapter 1, uh, all of the questions which tumbled out as he asked God why all these things were happening in Jerusalem amongst God's people in his day, all of his perplexity about what was going on. And that's why now he stands here, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch. He needed a different perspective. And we're just going to look at those five verses under three headings, which I think represent three good disciplines for us if we're going to trust God in a turbulent time. Here's the first one. Careful listening. After all of those questions that I mentioned yesterday in Habakkuk chapter 1, all of the struggles, all of the confusion which he felt, chapter, one, sorry, chapter 2 verse 1 records Habakkuk's resolve. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So like other prophets, uh, he uses this image of the watchman, you know, standing there on the ramparts, looking out uh, from the city. Whether he actually did that or not, we don't know, but he was, we understand what he's saying here. He needed a clear view of what was happening he needed a restored perspective. So he wanted no distractions. So he climbs up those stone steps, up onto the ramparts of the wall, above the busy streets and all of the uh, violence and treachery which he described in chapter 1, all of those daily reminders of injustice. And now he begins to look and to listen. And it's true, isn't it? I think most of us find that there are times when all of the distractions around us can obliterate our view of God. Um, it's very easy for the things around us in our lives, great or small, uh, to cloud our judgment. Well, it wasn't just a change of view that Habakkuk needed. You'll see here he was desperate to hear God's word. He longed to know what was happening in his world, in his city of Jerusalem. As we saw in, in chapter 1, he, he believed in God's purposes. He believed in all the good things which God had promised. He believed that God was in control. But as we said yesterday, he was living in between the promises that God made and their fulfillment, just as we are. And so now he pours out his heart. He turns away from all of the distractions and he waits quietly for God to speak. I, I, as I put myself in his sandals, standing on the uh, ramparts, I could imagine it would be really difficult to do that. I mean, I'm something of an activist. I know that I struggle sometimes with the idea of quietly waiting. And it must have been the same for Habakkuk with all of the distractions 
now occurring in the city with all of its moral and spiritual decline. But he does that because it was vital to hear God's voice. Um, I wonder if that is a feature of our own lives. You know, sometimes we can be governed more by the maxim, why pray when you can worry? And um, I hope you, you might be able to get to the uh, seminar this afternoon on prayer because this is part of what's going on in this story. Amidst all of this perplexity, Habakkuk realizes he now needs to come and listen. A few bullet points. First of all, you'll notice an expectant faith there in verse 1. I will stand at my watch. I will look to see what he will say to me. Um, probably that implies a kind of waiting, an active waiting for God's word, maybe even a perseverance. And they're really important qualities in our own lives, aren't they? Whether in our praying or whether in our reading of God's word. It reminds us that there's very little to be gained, actually, from reading the Bible without this quality, expectant faith. Um, even Jesus' own ministry was frustrated, do you remember, when there was no expectancy on the part of his hearers. He was in the synagogue, and he, he opened God's word, and yet he was met with cynicism, with incredulity. Expectant faith is the soil in which God's word will bear fruit. And that's a lesson for Habakkuk, and it's a lesson for us in our lives as well. And we also need this same expectant faith when we are praying. Uh, one of the qualities that we saw in chapter 1 was that uh, Habakkuk was very persistent. You know, he kept on asking God for help, didn't he? How long must I call for help, he said in verse 2 in the last chapter. I wonder how persistent we are. I like the comment from uh, uh, Don Carson where he says we should pray until we pray. Um, let me explain that. I quote from him. It's Puritan advice, in fact. Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism and unreality that attends a little praying. Many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring the front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Pray until you pray. It's good advice, isn't it? Just pushing through until we do sense we're in God's presence. He is listening. He is responding. An expectant faith. Then the second thing to notice in this opening verse is a submissive spirit. This is part of learning to trust God. It's simply to note the end of verse 1. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Um, if you have uh, a 2011 NIV, you'll notice there's a footnote which says it could read and uh, to, the, uh, to, to uh, uh, the correction that I receive or the answer when I am rebuked. In other words, it seems to me that he was very aware of how bold he had been in God's presence. We saw that yesterday, didn't we? As he shouted out his questions to God, as he asked why God was doing what he was doing. And now, after all of the arguments, he quietly waits for God's rebuke or God's correction or God's answer. Um, because God not only wants our honesty, which we saw yesterday, he also wants our humility. And that's a stance that we should have, isn't it, as we pray? A submissive spirit. 
I always remember um, the humor of an article that appeared in a missionary magazine uh, some while ago. It was the announcement in the missionary magazine that their general director uh, had now retired and he was serving the Lord in an advisory capacity. A little bit ambiguous, don't you think? <laughs> well, we are not the ones with the answers. When we come to pray, we're not in control. Prayer is saying, I depend on you, Lord. I don't have the answers. I'm not in control. I depend on you for everything, for every moment, as we know from the New Testament prayers. And therefore, coming into God's presence with this patient listening means that we're teachable as well as honest. So an expectant faith, a submissive spirit, and thirdly, a responsive heart. Because the key thing about these verses, as you probably know, is the emphasis on God's revelation. It's there in verse 2. And the Lord replied, write down the revelation. It is God's revealed word that Habakkuk receives and which he now records. It is the word of God. And this revelation was going to be the turning point for Habakkuk. We'll see it in just a minute. It's the turning book, actually, for the whole prophecy. It's a really significant moment as we read these words. So if we're perplexed by what's happening in our own society, or indeed in our own church, if we're perplexed by the uncertainties in our world, the starting point is to strengthen our confidence in what God has said, in the Word of God, in his authoritative revelation. And not just from Habakkuk, of course, but from the whole of Scripture. We are here, I suspect, this morning, or watching online, because we believe God's Word matters. We believe God's Word is authoritative, God's Word is powerful, God's Word can transform lives and even communities and societies. We are here, verse 1, to see what he will say to me, as Habakkuk puts it. And throughout Scripture, the Lord urges us to come to his word with responsive hearts. Um, I love the little phrase by Calvin when he said that the word of God should become our ladder into God's presence. I found that hugely helpful when it's difficult to pray or it's difficult to uh, feel or sense that we're with the Lord. His word becomes the ladder into his presence. It is to hear God's word, to listen to his purposes, to be determined to obey. Now, I say again, I think it's especially important in these turbulent times, when we're having a hard time trusting God, perhaps, it's important to hear the word of the Lord. And notice the seriousness of it. Verse 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Uh, tablets, I don't think, uh, Jason, that's a phone or an iPad. Um, the tablet here is the idea of writing it down in a permanent form. Uh, Jeremiah, who was prophesying at the same time as Habakkuk, was told, you remember, on several occasions, write down all the words on the scroll. Uh, if you read the dramatic story in Jeremiah 36, uh, the king then attempted to destroy the scroll, but then Jeremiah produced just another one with all the words of the Lord. Well, here... Uh, Habakkuk had to write down the message on tablets because it needed to be preserved, this word of the Lord. It was of lasting importance. Perhaps part of the reason for that was 
it might be some while before these promises that God was making would finally be fulfilled. But what God is saying here is, mark my words, Habakkuk, write it down, put it on tablets. It's going to happen. It will be fulfilled. This word will come to pass. And it's to be made plain, verse 2 says, so that people can read it and understand it. It is to be heralded. It is to be proclaimed, passed on to others, so that everybody hears the message. That's exactly what Jeremiah also, the Lord said to Jeremiah in writing it down on the scroll, so that everyone will hear in Judah, in Israel, they'll hear the word and by God's grace repent and be forgiven. Take the word of God seriously is the message that's coming across here. This is how our hearts and minds are going to be transformed. Our perspective is changed as we imbibe the living, dynamic, powerful word of God. Um, I know I speak to an audience which really believes that. You're here, after all, you're listening uh, to the word of God. But it is a big challenge, I think, for our churches globally. Um, the incoming general secretary of the World Evangelical Alliance uh, gave his sort of uh, introductory speech not long ago, and he spoke about the one challenge to evangelicals globally. And you know what he chose? It is this malnutrition. It is this neglect of God's word. It is the famine. People are not now, in quite the same way as in the past, opening God's word, listening, memorizing, obeying, allowing it to shape their minds, allowing it to shape their churches and our culture. It's a big challenge. It's really important also, day by day, that we absorb this word, that we have this responsive heart. Here's something which Eugene Peterson said, it's in his commentary on Jeremiah. If we forget that the newspapers are footnotes to scripture, and not the other way round, we will finally be afraid, afraid to get out of bed in the morning. The meaning of the world is most accurately given to us by God's word. That's a really important thing, because I watch a lot of the news channels. I guess you do. You may watch the BBC. We were talking about Al Jazeera, Russia Today, all of the news outlets, the social media platforms. Is that what is shaping our worldview? As Peterson puts it here, it's what Jeremiah, it's what Habakkuk are saying. Ultimately, we need the story of God's word. We need to listen to his authoritative proclamation. The footnotes are what the BBC and others might bring us. So careful listening. There's the first discipline. Here is the second. It is patient waiting. And you'll see it in verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Um, as I said right at the beginning, waiting is something we're not very good at in our Western culture. I mean, you're probably way better than I am, but I'm, I'm too impatient. You know, how are you when it's uh, waiting at a traffic queue or uh, waiting at the checkout at uh, Tesco's or Lidl? or even worse, from my point of view, and Margaret's, I think, is listening to the phone to those endless automated responses. You know, we, we, are, into, we, we are waiting for your call, we are, but we are receiving a large number of calls today, and you get this endless, endless waiting. Or waiting for medical results. That can be difficult. 
How are we at waiting? It's not easy. And as we saw in chapter 1, waiting for God's purposes was excruciatingly painful for Habakkuk. He was longing for God's purposes to be fulfilled. As I've said already, he was in the waiting room. So again, just some bullet points about what this might mean. The first thing to notice in verse 3 is the Lord is talking about an appointed time. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. So if Habakkuk was tempted to ask if God's promises were going to be fulfilled, if God had forgotten his covenant people, as we saw, he was reminded yesterday in chapter 1, we, were, we saw that God is at work already. God is at work. I am raising up the Babylonians. God was at work and God was in control. Now here, in this next chapter, as he stands on the walls, the emphasis is on the appointed time when God's word will finally be fulfilled. In other words, we shouldn't imagine that this world is completely out of control, that it's just heading for the dust bowls of infinity. The Lord has his word, his promise, and it will be fulfilled. That's what Habakkuk is realizing. The Lord is the Alpha and the Omega. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. The Lord reigns, as we are saying. And this revelation in verse 2 can be relied upon. Um, the idea of an appointed time here is actually a specific moment, as I put on the uh, screen. It's a specific hour. In other words, it's not just the time, you know, going around the clock face. Uh, this is the alarm bell ringing. It's a specific moment. Something happens. And verse 3 goes on to say, it speaks of the end. It hastens to an end, as some translation puts it. It's a word actually from running. You know, the runner who's watching the Olympics, he's puffing and panting, he's heading, he's gasping, he's yearning for the end. He's there at the finishing line. That's the tone of this expression. God has appointed a day when he will fulfill his promises. It's going to happen. So Habakkuk could be absolutely sure that what God had declared, and we'll see it tomorrow, what God had declared for judgment for the Babylonians, and indeed what God had declared for judgment on his own people, what God declares for judgment on all people who shake their little fist at God, and what God promises in terms of salvation for his people, for the righteous, whom we're going to mention in a moment, all of these things will come to pass. What God declares about the ultimate end will happen. And Habakkuk is looking at uh, what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. Uh, the New Testament calls it the day of Christ. So if we are tempted, like Habakkuk, to think that God must have abandoned his world, or God must have abandoned us, or given up on his promises, the word reminds us, wait patiently. The revelation awaits an appointed time. The second thing to notice is it is a reliable message. It will not prove false, the Lord says in verse 3. It will not lie. And of course, this follows on. It's obvious if this is the word of the Lord, if this is God's word of revelation, of course it will uh, be true. It will be fulfilled. There's an absolute certainty about God's word. 
Um, these words might have been included, I think, in the way the Lord spoke to Habakkuk because appearances appeared to contradict this message. Do you remember what we were saying yesterday? I mean, there was a terrible collapse going on in Jerusalem. Habakkuk was one man really standing up for the word of the Lord. The people, the military, the priests, the prophets, the king were all going in the opposite direction. It was rather the same for Abraham. Do you remember when he was told he'd be the father of many nations? You can almost uh, imagine how he would have felt at his late stage of life. Appearances seem to argue the opposite. So the message says, no, Habakkuk, God is not stringing you along. He doesn't lie. This message will not prove false. God does what he says. When he speaks, it will be fulfilled. Um, I remember as a young Christian first learning this lesson, I often tell the story. Um, I became a believer when I was quite young, uh, age five, after a life of crime, I usually say. And um, <laughs> um, when I went to secondary school, I decided I would do my best to uh, talk about my Christian faith. And I had a very good friend and um, every day we would make the same journey to school. It was quite a walk to uh, where we studied in our, our secondary school. And not every day, but maybe every week or so, we would talk about the Christian faith. I would try to explain why I was a Christian and what it meant. Um, he was much cleverer than me and he, he dismantled almost all of my arguments, all of my uh, defense of the Christian faith. And this went on and on and on through, uh, through our friendship uh, for the five or six years that we were in high school. And eventually, we came to our sixth form and we both left the school. He hadn't become a Christian. And uh, I went down to Exeter University. He went to Bristol. And in the first week of our studies, he wrote a letter to me. Do you remember letters? And um, in the letter, he said, Jonathan, I was in the students' union in Bristol. And uh, I wandered in. And in one of the side rooms, there was a meeting taking place, and it was being run by the Christian Union. And guess what? I became a Christian. And uh, I have to confess to you, I, I, I often quote this, that um, when I first received that letter, I thought, that is so unfair. I mean, all of those weeks of trying to persuade my friend that he was a believer. But someone pointed out to me the lovely verse in Isaiah, which I know you'll be familiar with, in Isaiah 55, verse 11, Isaiah speaks about the water cycle. Do you remember that? That uh, God's word is like the rain, the rain falls, it waters the soil, the seed sprouts, shoots up, and then the water evaporates back up to heaven. We all learned that at school, the water cycle. So is my word. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's what the Lord said to Isaiah. And that is what the Lord is saying to Habakkuk. It will be fulfilled. When God speaks, eventually something happens. You may have to wait, but it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So little by little, you notice, Habakkuk is beginning to learn that God is in control of this situation. It is a reliable message. And the other thing about it is it will not Delay. It will be fulfilled. It's a similar point, but it just reinforces uh, the certainty of the outcome. If you have your Bible, you'll see it there in verse 3. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. 
Now, this speaks to another one of our challenges, certainly in contemporary culture, and that is our view of time, our time scale, and God's time scale. Uh, do you remember how Peter expressed it? Um, to those in 2 Peter, those who were asking, well, well, where is Jesus' second coming? I mean, you talk about the Lord returning, but where is the evidence? Why hasn't he returned? Why is God delaying? Why doesn't God do something? And Peter gives us a quote from the Psalms, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. So the delay in God's action might seem long to Habakkuk or to us, but God sees time with a perspective which we lack. He doesn't count time in the way we do. A long time for us is not necessarily a long time for him. And we, we do this in everyday life. I mean, you've noticed that a week on holiday is much shorter than a week at work, isn't it? Uh, five minutes in a dentist chair is a very long time indeed. And I'm told that as you grow older, life seems to speed up. So we have these different views of time. The principle here in Habakkuk 2 is we should learn to see things from God's perspective. God's time is not our time. Um, you may be like me, that we imagine that if God is going to do something in answer to our prayers, it should happen immediately. And we forget the biblical stories. Do you remember Moses? He spent 40 years in the wilderness. Or the delay for Joseph, 20 years before he was finally vindicated. And when you meet older believers who've had a lifetime trusting the Lord, I'm sure you're like me, you're you realize what wisdom they have because they, they look back and they've learned the lesson. They look back with a longer perspective. Perhaps you're like this. And you begin to see, yes, that did begin to make sense. The Lord's timing in all of this was right. Um, that doesn't always happen. There are mysteries, of course. The point of this uh, emphasis on waiting is, of course, that as we learn to hear God's word and the promises of the future and hope and even of heaven, we can formally subscribe to those ideas, can't we, as Christians? We believe in those doctrines, but we can live practically as though this world was all there is, just like ordinary non-Christians. We can live as though there's no tomorrow, no promises, just the here and now. And so scripture reminds us to hold on to God's perspective, his view of where it's all heading, the future to live our lives now in the light of eternity. Here's something which John Stott said. If the men and women of this world live in the cramped quarters of time, we Christians should learn to inhabit the wide open spaces of eternity. Well, careful listening, patient waiting, and finally, steadfast believing. Verses four and five. I've said already, more than once, that the key issue for Habakkuk, and I think also for believers under pressure around the world, for us in this turbulent world, is how to live in the meantime, how to live in the waiting room while we wait for God's good purposes finally to be fulfilled. And so we finish this morning with the key verse here in the chapter, in fact, the key verse of the whole book. It is a watershed in relation to every human being, in relation to every nation. And it gives two ways, two alternatives, faith and unbelief. 
So in verse 2, sorry, in verse 4, uh, there is a description of the Babylonians themselves. See, they, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. This is translated variously, by faith, by his faith, by his faithfulness. We'll comment on that as we close. And this, as I say, sets the context for the whole book. It marks the contrast between the righteous, on the one hand, who are trusting God, trusting him now and for the future, and on the other hand, the proud, bloodthirsty Babylonian army, which will soon be pounding against the walls of Jerusalem. It shows, in other words, the secular and the Christian perspective. So the reply that Habakkuk receives as he's standing there on the wall is that the ultimate fate of the righteous and the wicked, it might be slow in appearing, but the outcome is certain. Evil will be overthrown. The wicked will perish. The righteous will live. And so in the meantime, the important thing is that we believers, the righteous, must keep on trusting God. That's why I've called it steadfast believing. The righteous will live by faith, by faithfulness. So just quickly, here are the two alternatives. Then it's either unbelief, verse uh, 4 and 5, and you'll look at the description there. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. In fact, the word puffed up can also almost mean tumorous. They're inflated with pride. Uh, these enemies of God, the Babylonians, but all who followed since, they're completely self-reliant. That's, of course, why they never look for a righteousness which is outside of themselves. They're self-contained. They think they need nothing. And so uh, there it is in verse 5. Wine betrays him. He's arrogant. He's never at rest because he's as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. So the Lord is saying, well, they're deluded. And that's made worse by the intoxication of wine, for which, of course, the Babylonians were very well known. He is arrogant and never at rest. The word really means never at home. He's always on the move. Uh, he's restless with this consuming ambition. So it's a very simple sketch in that verse of how we were before we came to know the Lord. It's a sketch of self-made man, woman, the self-contained, the self-reliant, the self-sufficient, the self-obsessed. The opposite is the life of faith. The righteous will live by his faith, verse 4. The righteous are those who look steadfastly to God. They're committed to him. And their life is characterized by this steady perseverance, trusting in God, waiting on him, listening to his word, waiting for his good purposes to be fulfilled. So they live by faith, not by sight as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians. They focus on God, not on themselves. Now, you'll know that this little phrase bubbles up several times in the New Testament. That's why it's such a significant moment in Habakkuk's prophecy, the righteous will live by faith. And there are many times, but I'll just quote one of them. Here it is in Romans 1. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
And in Romans 1, Paul does it also in Galatians 3, he describes that all men and women, Jew and Gentile alike, deserve God's judgment. That's true of us. But all men and women, Jew and Gentile alike, must hear the good news of the gospel. And this news of justification by faith is not dependent on fulfilling the law. It is dependent on faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We know this as the heart of the gospel. So we can see how this attitude that Paul describes of throwing ourselves upon God's mercy, of trusting on Jesus and his work on the cross is quite the opposite of the sort of proud, bloodthirsty, Babylonian attitude that I'm in control, I'm in charge, I need nobody else. We have come to be aware as Christian believers that we are entirely dependent on God's grace. So what really matters, Habakkuk is hearing, is that we cling to God, recognizing that the whole of our life is dependent on him. The righteous will live by his faith. There's one other reference in the New Testament which I'd like to quote before we, we come to a close. It's actually in the book of Hebrews, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging believers who are also hard-pressed. They lived in a turbulent world. Uh, often many of them were Jewish converts. They uh, were under pressure. They had lost their jobs, many of them. They were being persecuted. But also amongst them were some who wondered why Jesus hadn't come back why the Messiah hadn't returned. So the righteousness of the Hebrews urges them to trust God and to trust the fact that the coming one will arrive. And so he quotes from Habakkuk. Here it is, uh, Hebrews 10, 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. He goes on to say, you need to trust the promises. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. Now, I've put it in red on the screen because that's the quotation from Habakkuk, but do you notice what the writer of the Hebrew has done? He changes the word here. It's not it, but he who is coming will come and will not delay. And the writer is urging the believers of his day and by the Holy Spirit urging us to remember that we must not let go of God's promises. We must look towards that day when Jesus himself will return. That final moment that Habakkuk is hearing about when everything will be finally summed up to find its unity, its completion in Jesus Christ. So faith is a matter of hanging on. It's a matter of steadfast believing. Hold on to the Lord Jesus. Hold on to the promises. Look for his return. So that is faith, dear brothers and sisters. It's not simply the initial act of believing. Well, that's always necessary, of course. But it is also this steady perseverance of faithfulness. Steadfast believing. Don't give up. Keep going. Well, there we are. I think the controlling, the principle here is what is the controlling influence in our lives as we live in a turbulent world? What is our fundamental most motivation? And the word of the Lord through Habakkuk is that the only way to live in this world is through wholehearted trust in the God 
who holds the universe in his hand. Wholehearted trust in the Alpha and the Omega. Wholehearted trust in God's promises, which will be fulfilled as God has promised. We live day by day recognizing the promises of God's word. So those are the three things we need. Careful listening, patient waiting, steadfast believing. And as we do this, we'll discover in the midst of turbulent times that we can trust God with our own lives, with our families, with our church community, with our nation, with the world. Let's pray together. Careful listening. Dear Father, we know that there are so many distractions in our world and in our hearts. So we pray you will help us to turn to you day by day, to read your word, to pray about everything, as Paul tells us, so that the word of God becomes the ladder into your presence. Help us, Lord, to hear and to obey. Patient waiting. Lord, you know that's often the hardest thing for us. And so we ask you'll help us to trust your promises, to trust in the knowledge that they will be fulfilled in your time and according to your good purposes in ways which are the very best for us and for your people. And steadfast believing. Help us, Lord, to live by faith, not by sight, to have our eyes upon you, to live with steadfast faithfulness, living now in the light of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.